the stewardship issue. And so I believe every Christian should exercise good stewardship over their vote. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. Actually, it's a breach of federal law for me to do that as a, um, as a pastor, and um, I'd like to stay out of prison. Um, but I do tell you two votes. It's, uh, it's an interesting um, period that we are, and Christians have never had the privileges that Christians in America have as citizens. It's kind of a new experiment within the Christian church. The Apostle Paul thinking that um, an entire church could exercise a vote and influence their Christian um, conflicts and conscience and the government. Um, it's very interesting. So um, we live in a pretty cool country and I um, encourage you to do that on Tuesday um, to go out and to vote. We are in the book of Galatians and it's been fun to preach through the book of Galatians. We're halfway through chapter two this morning. Um, I encourage you um, to, to really pay attention this morning as we look at this particular text. We're going to the very basics of the gospel. Um, one of the things that I would hope um, anyone who attends Christ's covenant would be able to do, would be able to say, this is what Christians believe um, about how someone is made right with God. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, whether maybe you're, uh, you're, you're not a Christian and you know you're not a Christian. Um, we're glad you're here. We always want to provide a place for folks who are not Christians to come and, and listen. You might be in between and just considering some of the claims of Christianity. You might be a young Christian. You might be an old Christian, but I would hope that, um, that really everyone um, who is influenced by our church at all would be able to say, this is what the Bible believes about how someone can come to faith in Christ. Um, that's my hope and goal. And so um, it, it might be that you've been confused along the way. If you would ask me as a 16-year-old kid um, that had grown up in Episcopal Church in, in Virginia Beach, um, how you would be saved, um, I would have not gotten it right. And um, I, I eventually had some friends in my life that told me I, I didn't have it right and was able to place my faith in Christ truly. But I thought I knew Christianity, and I didn't. And growing up in a Christian culture, um, that's very easy for us to do, especially if you grew up in a Christian family. It's very easy um, to do um, because you will naturally, you have to, there's no other way around it, you will learn what Christians do, how they speak, and you'll know the outward things to do and say but you may not get the heart of it, and you may not be able to articulate it truly, and you may not believe and think that you do. And so this morning is kind of one big reboot, control, alt, delete, force quit on um, our souls when it comes to understanding um, the gospel. There are three different terms I need to go through before I read you these two short verses, because um, English messes up the Greek. And I've told you before, I won't bring out Greek and use Greek unless I really have to because you don't need to know Greek. It's what I need to know. Um, and I leave it in my study and don't tell it to you unless it's necessary. And so when you come to this passage, um, there's some words that Paul's going to use and he's going to use them synonymously because they're the same word in Greek. We just have different English words for it. And so the first thing you're going to see is you're going to see the words justify, justification, righteous, righteousness. They're all the same word in Greek. Dikaios, dikaiosune, dikaio, um, it's, it's all the same root, except we don't have um, the word to righteousify. That's just not an English word that we have. And so we had to come up with a word justify. So whenever you hear the word justify in the Bible or justification in the Bible, it is the same concept, even on the word level, as righteous or righteousness. So good to know. Second words that you need to know is that Paul's going to use the words works of the law. 
you probably don't go around and say, yep, today I did my best to obey the works of the law. Um, if you were a Jew, you would have done that. And we're going to talk about that a little more in full. But Judaism culminated the different things that everyone tries to do to please God and culminated not only in the Jewish law we call the Torah, but within the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are summary statements over everything that we've been made to do rightly before God to so um, earn his, his, his favor and to serve him in the world. And so we're going to talk about that. So when you hear works of the law, don't just think Jewish stuff, but think all of the stuff that people try to do to make God happy with them. That's some don't know that. Last set of words um, that you need to know are the words faith and believe. And these are the words that, um, that our culture especially gets wrong. Um, so it's very um, common for people in our culture to say, you're justified by faith. And people ask what that means. Well, it means I am a person of faith. It means I believe in spiritual things. And so obviously I'm right with whatever spiritual divine power that's there. Um, Paul would have never used the word faith that way. In fact, in the Greek, you can't use the word faith that way. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, another Scottish preacher who I love to listen to, um, like Alistair Begg, um, has said faith is not a thing. Where our culture thinks faith is a thing. It's this thing I have, and if I'm in possession of this thing called faith, then I obviously am right with whoever God is. Faith in the Bible is the same word as believe. And so pistis, pistuo, um, faith, believe, it's just we don't have the verb faithing. You don't go around and say, yeah, today I just faithed all over the place. We'd say, I believe. That's a verb that we have. So it, the, what we should do if we're using that word in the Greek sense, if someone comes up and says, I have faith, the natural response would be, faith in what? Just like if somebody came up to you and said, I have belief, and therefore I'm right with God. Say, well, belief in what? You don't just have belief. You have belief in something in particular. And so you're going to see those things work their way out. It's just there's this, there's this intersect between translating the Greek into the English where we lost some concepts and we're trying to recover them so that we understand the right way to God. So faith, big deal when it comes to salvation, justification, righteousness, those are all big terms. We want to get those terms right. And so if you're following with me so far, now I can read this text to you. You'll hear those words come up in the course of Paul's argument. He's now finished defending himself to the Galatian church. He has just gotten sideways with the Apostle Peter, a related story where he fought with the Apostle Peter and told Peter that he was getting the gospel wrong. He's now going to use that story to clearly, within two short verses, articulate how someone can be made right with God. So that's where we go this morning as we come into Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
This is the word of our God. Let's pray this morning before we consider it. Father, we are thankful for your word, which is true in every part, is without error. You have given it to us that we might know you, believe in you, by faith be saved, repent of our sins, grow up in righteousness. All of that is so much. And so we need your Holy Spirit to do what your spirit does through your word. So come, Father. We would pray for softened hearts, not, heart, not hardened ones. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As we dive into this, I want you to see a few three, three, a few three points um, in this particular passage before we make some concluding um, remarks. And the first thing that I want you to see is that if anyone was going to be saved by works, it would be the Jews. If anyone was going to be saved by works, it would be the Jews. And this is an easy way to summarize the Bible. God created us to live perfectly in perfect happiness and obedience with him, to know him rightly and to serve him rightly. And there is still the ache in every human heart towards that end. Everyone wants to know God rightly. Everyone wants to obey him and serve him rightly. And those two themes are woven between every religion, every way of life that's ever been created. Even if someone decided to craft their own spirituality that is peculiar to them and unique to them, they still would be trying to figure out what is this thing divine? Who is God if God is God? And how can I live in right relationship with this person? Adam and Eve were created that way, lived in perfect obedience with God, and knew him rightly. When Adam and Eve devolved into sin, they plunged all of their children into sin and misery. And all of us to this day continue to get that wrong. We don't know God rightly, and we are unable to serve God rightly. Now God, by Genesis 3.15, had said the gospel. God came in and preached the gospel to Adam and Eve and said there would come one one day who would bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent would bite his heel. That one particular person is the Jewish concept of Messiah and that concept of Messiah is woven through the whole Old Testament. And so God from the beginning didn't say, listen, y'all try your best and see what you can do. He said, as far as salvation goes, there is one particular person who is going to enact that. Nevertheless, God continued to articulate to his people who he was and how they could live rightly before him. So that out of all the world religions, Judaism alone had the truth about God, not just who he was and his grace towards his people, but the ways that he intended them to live. Now remember, Every single person's trying to solve that problem, and every single person has God's law to some degree written on their hearts. And so that's why we see morality across every single culture. And so one author relates it to, if we were to look at World War II, um, if we were to go to Britain and see some of the bombed out buildings, you might go through a building and say, hmm, this used to be a cathedral. I can tell by the structures here or there or some of the shards on the ground what this building used to be, what it was used for, what some intentions were, but nevertheless you knew that it was bombed out and destroyed and wasn't used that way anymore. And so in our own hearts you can look at humanity as a whole, particular cultures and even individuals and say, I can see how they want to live in a right way even though there's significant parts of their lives that are bombed out. 
What you have God doing within the Jewish people is giving them who he is and giving them his law. And the Old Testament is one long testimony that even when fallen men and women know God rightly and know what they're supposed to do, they are still unable to do it. The Old Testament is one long story of failure. Now, if you grew up in the Christian church, sometimes that is, um, that is not taught correctly. I am so thankful for the folks in the nursery and the folks in children's worship, the way that we deal with our kids and our stories. The tendency is to go through the Old Testament, pick out some heroes, and just to make them the really great people, these few guys or gals that really got their acts together and obeyed God perfectly, heroes of the faith, all of them fell short. I mean, you realize that the three greatest guys in the Bible other than Jesus were all murderers. I mean, you get that right. Moses, David, and Paul, all of them. Like the best we have to offer are guys that have tried to off other people. So it's, you go through and you've really got to read the Bible through a very, very particular lens to look through the Old Testament and think, I can do this. Nevertheless, God wanted in Judaism to frustrate his people and frustrate you so that you would come to the place and say, I'm not even going to try. Some of you have gotten there. Some of you haven't. Some of you were there last week and you aren't anymore and you're still trying again. But what Paul is saying when he says to Peter and to the, to the Gentiles there in Galatia, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And he's looking at the Gentiles as um, a Jew would. People who don't know God, don't have his law, don't have his word, aren't even trying to serve God. He said, but we even realize you can't be saved by works. And so Paul's saying, listen, by birth, if you're doing the spiritual good old boy system of like who's my daddy and my granddaddy and my great-granddaddy and what kind of status or social claims can I make on that basis, if the Jews could do that, they would be the ones who were saved. If somehow you got into heaven because your parents were believers, it would be the Jews. If anybody had the accurate description of who God is, it was the Jews. If anybody had woven into the way they trained up their children, it was the Jews. If anyone were going to be able to do that, it would be the Jews. And honestly, if any of the Jews were going to be able to do it, it would have been the Apostle Paul. So he'll say in Philippians 3, listen, I was the Jew of Jews. I had the best training, I had the most zeal, I was trying to kill Christians. Like if anybody could have conformed their life to the Jewish law and so be saved, it was me. And now if I can alter back to what I told you about the works of the law in the beginning, that means not just Jews could be, it means all of us can't look to the works of the law for our salvation. Most of you, I think all of you, actually preached in um, in uh, Redemption Hill in D.C. last Sunday evening, and um, I was going through Paul and Peter and Jews, and um, a guy came up to me afterwards and said, I'm so excited, my, my parents are actually Orthodox Jews, and, um, and they're here and got to hear the gospel, and they're considering the gospel, and so that was, that was pretty cool. Most of you are not Orthodox Jews. Um, most of you did not grow up within a Jewish um, family, and so because of that, before you were Christians, you were just trying to hack it out the best you could. 
You had some general ideas about morality, about what was right and wrong and who you should serve and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I mean, even most of the atheists I know are relatively moral people. They're not all just evil people hiding off in the shadows doing horrible things. I mean, thankfully, by God's grace, woven into the heart of every person is a general desire to be a right and upstanding citizen, to contribute back to society, and to feel guilt when you do wrong things. The question is, can the trajectory of that desire, can those works be something you could ever bring before whoever God is and say, look, I've done enough. I'm right before you. Because a lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe on the day that I face whoever God is, I think I've done better than most, and so I'm going to play my chances. I think based on whatever works I have done, I might be okay, and I'm hoping that'll be the case. Tim Keller, to try and get at that, says, what if, what if we just judged you by your own standards? What if we hung a tape recorder around your neck? And it tape recorded everything that you could ever say and everything that you've ever done. And we played it back for you. Even based on what you think is right, would you be able to live up to your own standards? You know, forget whatever the Ten Commandments say. Whatever your standards are, could you do it? I can't conceive of a person who could say that they did, even fall short of their own standards. And so the Apostle Paul starts in and saying, listen, you've seen the Jews couldn't even do it. If the Jews couldn't do it, we're going to have to look somewhere else because we can't look to works of the law for salvation, even though we are naturally hardwired for it. I had a, we were in Peru, one of my favorite trips to Peru, and um, my, one of my assistants when I was doing youth ministry in Jackson was giving the talk. He was giving a talk through a translator, and um, we had a bunch of Peruvian children. We were in a school, and so he's talking, and they're translating in Spanish. He was trying to illustrate this to them, and, um, and he was saying, now, listen, you know, y'all don't all serve your, your parents uh, perfectly like, like you should, right? And um, we all expected, no, and they were all nodding, yes. See, we do that. And they said, no, you know, I mean, I'm sure your teachers could, could, could point to areas that, that you've fallen short and mistakes you've made, and they all shook their heads, no. I mean, they, they had the Americans there and wanted to say, no, 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 we've, our parents are good, our teachers are good. And so it was hilarious to see him, through a translator, try to get to these folks and say, now you know that you've fallen short. And those students just saying, no, we have not. We are cutting it out. And that's, that's funny when you think of kids, but all of us do that. All of us. I mean, very simply put, we cannot as humans conceive of the full bore wrath of God and displeasure without being undone. I mean that for everyone. I mean, the, the most hardened agnostic cannot conceive of the displeasure and wrath of God without falling into the deepest, darkest depression, ending up in suicide. And so most of us have ways we comfort ourselves and ways we self-medicate. It's just, it's inconceivable to think of God that way because we're wired to think, I'm doing okay well enough, or at least I'll be well enough in a month or so. Or at least by the end I have to die and go and meet the Lord, I think I'm doing well enough. And so the first thing the Apostle Paul wanted to say is, listen, if that's how you're thinking, we had this long object lesson called Israel. 
And if anyone knew God's law enough and could have cut it out, it would have been them, and they couldn't do it. And so for anyone who's trying to think, I'm going to earn my way before God, consider the Jews. They weren't able to do it. And even Judaism, the height of God's law, the closeness and intimacy that he was to his people, Israel, they were unable to meet God's standard. And so we have to look somewhere else. And so the apostle goes in and next he says that justification is by faith alone in Christ and not by works of the law. He says it three times in one verse. You'd think he might be trying to make a point. And so what does it mean to be justified by faith in Christ? First of all, it means that faith is a gift of God and not a work. If I could just somehow get into your brains, and when it comes to you considering how am I made right with God, if I could just disconnect the wire that goes to works so that that never even factors in, I would love to do that for you. One of the things that we used to do for kids when we get Christmas presents is we would intercept toys that made noise um, before they made them to our children. You know, for some reason, we had extended family members that thought that toys for children should make a lot of noise. And so, um, so what we would do is we'd get them. I can remember one, it was Tomater from um, Cars. And just the most, I mean, next to Jar Jar Binks, the most annoying cartoon character ever created. And so I can remember seeing that and just thinking all the things that were going to go through the house. And I thought either that car could meet a sudden accidental end once my kids have got it or I need to alter it. And so I got up my screwdriver and opened it up and, um, and went into it and found the wire that went to the speaker and just cut it. Um, and the car still moved and whirred and everything else. It's just my kids, to this day, they're not here this morning. To this day, they never knew that that toy was supposed to make noise. Just it never factored into their minds. And Hallie and I were much happier um, because of it. And so I wish for you, when it comes to the way you relate to the Lord, that when it comes to how am I made right? How do I receive God's pleasure? How can I be sure that I make it into heaven? That I could just cut the works wire. That just never would factor in for you about how you're made right with God. You just never would even think that you could be right with God um, that way. But that's not the way it is um, for us. We're still prone towards that. And so we need passages like this where Paul comes in and says, justification is by faith alone in Christ. And the way that that's used in Christ, it's a Christ faith. It's not just faith in general, a Christ faith. And so when God is teaching you, how am I to be made right with God? How can I tell other people how I can be made right with God? How can I know this morning that God is smiling on me, that if I were to get hit by a Mack truck walking out and I were to meet God immediately after this service, that I would meet his smile and his open arms and the Lord Jesus Christ beaming at me. How could I know that, that it wouldn't even factor into your mind to think about how you've lived your life? wouldn't even factor into your mind the things that you've done or not done. It wouldn't even factor into your mind of replaying those guilty moments that you do to try and guilt and shame yourself into obedience. That all would come into your mind is Christ's faith. A belief in who Jesus is and what he has done. You don't know how radical that is. And some of you just said in your heads, yes, I do. You really don't. It doesn't matter how long you live your lives. You don't know how radical this Christ faith is that God has provided for you. 
And so what do we look at? We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus as son of God and son of man, both man and God. God able to bear the weight of God's wrath, eternal wrath, heavy wrath, wrath that would crush anyone to the ground and yet Christ's shoulders strong enough to bear it and to absorb that wrath. Man, that he might stand in for you, not some kind of angel to whom you can't relate, not some goat or bull, some animal, but a man so that he can both stand in for you and bear that rate, the long-promised Messiah. It is a wonderful thing to see Jews, and I, I hope those Jews last week that I got to preach the gospel to come to Christ, because finally, it's like the key unlocks the door, and this Messiah they've hoped for, oh, it's Christ. That all along, God's intention in the Old Testament was not to, to bait you into thinking that you could be made right by doing good works, but to say, you can't. Be frustrated by your works. Be guilty. Be torn down. Be ashamed. Every time you consider what you've done and who you are in terms of being made right with God, I hope you spiral into the deepest, darkest depression. But look to Christ. Look what he's done. Look what he's accomplished. Look how the history of Old Testament Israel showed Israel's failure, but then Christ in the gospel, Christ's obedience, so that he performed the law at every step, not just the moral law, but also the civil law and the sacrificial law. Jesus participated in every aspect. He had to be circumcised on the eighth day. He had to go to synagogue worship. He had to, when he went into, towards the temple, offer sacrifices. He did all of those things in obedience so that the whole of the law could be satisfied and then to die a bloody death so that the, the lack for us, he could bear. We look to Christ, and we believe that he did that, not just in space and time for some 11 guys who would follow him after, or people who saw him in bodily form as resurrection, like the 500 folks mentioned in Acts, or the Apostle Paul, but for anyone, as the Bible says, who places their faith in him. You are saved through faith in Christ alone. And not even that is a work. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. Because if you're a Christian, you are created in Christ's like, like, likeness. You're God's workmanship made for good works, one of which is believing and repenting unto salvation. It is completely and totally what Christ has done. We are such a self-focused, selfish people, and it has never been so like it has been in America. One author has claimed that America is what we call a meritocracy. We're not, sorry, a democracy, we're not an oligarchy, we're not a, you know, different types of, of societies that are built. He said, we are a meritocracy. It doesn't matter if you have social status, it doesn't matter if you have this amount of money, it doesn't matter who your family is, it just matters that you've done something. So he says, you will have a poor, dirt poor activist who's just done, you know, all kinds of marched in, in riots and done different things and written about the poor and led for the poor and served in the poor. And that person will be at a, a presidential banquet next to somebody else who's made a ton of money in the software industry. 
How could somebody so poor and somebody, somebody so wealthy be side by side? It's because some, somehow both of them has merited status towards us. It doesn't really matter what you do. It matters that you do something. Be the best teacher that you can be. Be the best parent that you can be. And so all of us are feeling this need like no culture ever has to justify ourselves in our own area. Everything that we're doing, no matter what it is, has to be best and perfect. None of you are convinced because you don't have an MBA and you're not going to be a business professional or whoever that somehow you can just kind of take the foot off the gas and you're just okay doing what you're doing. None of you think that if you weren't born in the upper caste, that it's okay to be where you are and you can just calm down and relax and lead a peaceful life. All of you, as Americans, are driven to the bone to excel and to be someone, and all of you are doubting whether you're enough. So I wonder what it means to come to a passage like this and know to be made right with God is by a faith that he works in me so I can no longer have to look at myself and my resume or my CV or after two years whether my portfolio will get me accreditation or what next job that I'm going to have or by conferences coming up next week or whatever it might be that you can finally stop looking at those things and look to the Lord Jesus and know the Lord God loves you whether you don't get accreditation, the conferences go horrible, you get fired from your job, you know, first five years of marriage are rocky or the first 40 years of marriage are rocky, that none of those things can change your identity before the Lord God because your identity has been secured by what Jesus has done in fulfilling the law in full. Like I said, I wish I could cut that wire in your brain that goes to works, always goes to works. The last thing he says here in this passage says this. He says, for by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There's a beautiful invitation in this because it means anyone can come to Christ. It means you could come to Christ this morning if you never have been. It means that at any moment, any person, by believing in Jesus and placing your priority and eyes towards him rather than yourself, can receive salvation promised in his name. You don't have to take a pilgrimage somewhere. You don't have to come to an elementary school gymnasium. You don't have to read a certain book. You don't have to go through a class that at any moment, by placing your faith in Jesus as Savior, you can be saved. But it's also a sober warning. If you decide to try and work out your salvation by works, if you decide to, to try and decide, I'm just going to try my best and hope it works out in the end, you will not be justified. You cannot be made right with God. You cannot. So I'm trying to tell you, don't try. Paul's trying to tell you, don't try. That road was closed long ago. If any man or woman or child will be justified, it will be through the finished work of Jesus. A few concluding remarks before we end. You might not be a Christian, um, and you know it. And a lot of folks who grow up in our culture, I, I love talking to folks who aren't Christians yet. Um, I even love talking to folks who aren't Christians yet and who've grown up in spiritual um, families close to Christianity. It was my own story um, of coming to faith. 
And um, what usually folks hear when they're like that is it seems like this Christianity bait and switch because they've been around Christians long enough to be guilted by them or to be shamed by them or to see Christians living lives of guilt and shame, which we'll get to um, in, in a few minutes. And so folks who've grown up in a Christian culture, when they hear that there's a salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, will often say, well, yeah, I hear you, but I know that it's actually something different. I know you say that, and if I actually believe in Christ, I know the other shoe is going to drop. And so there's this reluctance to believe that that's true. And what I'd like to say to you, if and that's where you are, if you know people um, who are in those who are in that position, this is God speaking through his scriptures. And so let every other Christian be wrong. God is saying here in this chapter that you are saved by faith alone and only by faith alone, that you continue by faith alone, that when you die and appear before the throne of God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? You will say nothing having to do with my own works, but all of what Christ has done. And he's offered free salvation to people who believe in his name and I'm counting on him. And God will say, welcome into my throne room, welcome into paradise. Christ is speaking to you from this text, offering you that salvation, and you can receive it at any moment and live a life by faith and know that the other shoe is not going to drop. It was why Martin Luther did what he did, you know, 500 or so years ago last week. Nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door. He was reading the Greek and it was like, man, Everybody's wrong. You know what the first point was of the 95 Theses? The very first one? All of the Christian life should be lived by repentance. His first one said, we start sinners, we continue sinners, we die sinners, and so if we are made right with the Lord, we stay sinners, and as repenters, we trust in his faith and the finished work of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, turn to the Lord Jesus. You can do it this morning and come into this new relationship with the Lord, finally letting down the meritocracy and knowing that you can be made with, right with God and take a deep breath. Second group of people I wanted to talk to this morning um, are um, Christians who are cultural Christians. Now, if you're a cultural Christian, um, you actually don't consider yourself a part of this category. So let me, let me explain to you um, how that might be. Um, I'm really glad that up until eh, recently, depending on how you look at it, America's been, America's been a Christian culture. Um, I would argue that we're no longer um, a Christian culture. Um, people, even people that are growing up in Judeo-Christian families cannot articulate the gospel. And so it's not just they say, I believe the gospel, or I know what the gospel is and I don't believe it. They can't articulate it at all. And so I still think there are strands of morality in our culture, but I no longer think we're a Christian culture. But some of you grew up culturally Christian, and this is not a bad thing at all. I love that all of my kids are growing up in a Christian family. I'm teaching them the Bible. I'm catechizing them. We're doing scripture memory. They know worship songs. They come to church. They're growing up in a thoroughly Christian environment, but I'm also telling them that there's going to come a day where you will have to believe in the Lord Jesus and not on all the things that I've taught you for your right standing with God. But a lot of times, either it's not said or it doesn't come through as children grow up. And the way that Christianity can be used is you can use the rules, the laws, the, the trappings of Christianity to try and earn right standing with God. You can learn the lingo. You can learn what Christians do, even what Christians do in, 
in your culture or don't do, and you can just simply try to outwardly do them. And so within our culture, what it looks like for people to come to faith a lot of times means that they thought they were Christians all along, and all of a sudden they realized they had just learned outwardly what to do and say, and they really weren't Christians to begin with. They weren't living by faith and the freedom that comes by faith. They had just learned what to do. People are very good at doing that. I know, it's a little distracting. We'll just cut it this way. Um, Or I'll let Robbie cut it in the back. Um, so what it looks like for you and for many people, I know people will come through the door, they'll take communion, they'll do whatever they need to do, but a lot of times they'll actually come to faith in Christ like I did. I thought I was a Christian, and then I came to faith in Christ later. If that's you, and you're starting to think, maybe I'm starting to understand this, probably what's going to happen first is you're going to enter into the embarrassment and the feeling that that's a childish thing to think on. Many times what people will think is, yeah, 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 Joe needs to get past that, needs to get talking more about ethics. Joe needs to get past that gospel stuff, because I learned that a long time ago, and now I need to get on to something else. And if I were to openly and publicly declare my love for Jesus, or if I were to openly believe that I could start being honest about my own failings, because I believe that my failings are covered over by the work of Jesus, I would actually be embarrassed, and people would think less of me. Now, you realize what Christianity says is what Martin Luther says in one, that all of you are repenters. So if anybody comes in and you think anybody here is perfect, they're putting off the wrong vibe for Christianity. Go find a different religion. If you walked through these doors this morning claiming to be a Christian, you're saying, I messed up this week. I failed. I have stuff in my life I'm embarrassed about. That doesn't mean that we need to have this long session where we all share our deepest, darkest secrets. It just means that we come in saying I'm made right by the finished work of Jesus because I'm living life by a Christ faith, not a life of works. I'm trying to pay off for the guilty things I've done or earning credit before God. And so my hope is that some of you, like some of you have, will come to faith in Christ even though you've been a confessing Christian for a long time. I hope that we see that. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. That's one of my own embarrassments in my own story. When I became a Christian, I didn't tell anybody because I was too embarrassed. So I'd been pretending to be a Christian, and then I really became a Christian, and I just kind of, instead of faking it, started doing it for real, believing in the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and I didn't want to tell my friends that for you know, eight months that I knew them, I was just pretending all along. And so I now can say that publicly and on tape and everything else that was wrong of me to do. Um, and if you come to faith as a Christian or a professing Christian, and now you're really a Christian, I would love to hear your story. I'd love to put a microphone in front of you and let you tell other people your story. Um, because that's a lot of folks and how they come to faith in, in our own culture. And so enter into the elementary-ness the pedantic nature of the gospel, be willing to believe it in its simplicity, I would love for you to be able to say, I just love Jesus, I know that he loves me. That sounds so um, emotive and embarrassing, especially for some of you grown men to say, um, but it's what we believe. We are disciples of the Lord Jesus, we love him. We wanna follow him. So, second group of people. Third group of people who I told you I'd get to. People who are driven by guilt, shame, and fear. Many of you are legitimate Christians and your lives are racked by guilt, shame, and fear in ways that you don't articulate to anyone else and for the most part can kind of keep in 
in your public face and where you work and where you go, and you feel like so far this, this sermon has been like a, a BB bouncing off a tank. Like you hear salvation is by faith, that God loves me by what Christ has done for me. And this tank of guilt and shame and fear just won't let it in. So it's just a clink on the outside. We say to you, the Lord Jesus is here through his word this morning. And his intention for you is to set down your story of guilt and shame and fear. And to begin to live in his story of forgiveness, of freedom, of redemption and fulfillment in who he is. To begin to take steps of counteracting that terrorist in your head when you have the internal monologue that says, I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough. If only I could get this sin taken care of, then I would be okay. And all of those things to begin to say, no, I'm okay in Christ. He has done enough. I'm united to him, and today I can feel happy and joyful. Even though I did these things or these things were done to me, because either Jesus will judge those things that were done to me later on, or the things that I did, he's atoned for that guilt, I finally can live a free life. Guilt has been dealt with at the cross. Shame has been dealt with at the cross. Fear of what might happen in the future has been dealt with at the cross. And the Lord Jesus, it is as if he were standing here inviting you out of your tank, out of your armament, out of your own shaming stories to begin to live knowing the Lord loves you. How would Monday morning change if you could wake up and for five minutes, or just for 30 seconds, think about God smiling at you. Think about God saying to you, I love you, and I won't leave you today. Think about him saying to you, you don't have to repeat that story today. You don't have to play that video over and over and over in your head, hoping today you'll do enough to convince yourself that you weren't that bad from what you had done. You could play the video of his son rejoicing over you, enduring punishment for your sin, rising again in joy to secure eternal life for you. What does it look like for you to believe that justification is by faith alone, right standing in favor with God is by faith alone, and that God's not looking at your works, and so why are you? What does it look like for you to do that? Lastly, as all of Christians, we will struggle with this for the rest of our lives. We will struggle with this as a church, encroaching legalism, encroaching, encroaching works righteousness. We'll have to remind ourselves of it, but even remind ourselves that our battle to believe the gospel and we fall into patterns of unbelief, it has already been forgiven. So we can joyfully and freely worship as Christians this morning. We can sing songs lackluster and we can single, sing songs full-throated. We can come in and just be the people of God in his presence and look to Christ and not himself. I mean, not ourselves. That's how in the end you change. We think, if I can look at my own actions enough, beat myself up over them enough, then I can change. The gospel says, if you can look to Christ, see what he's done, know that the pressure is off you, 
Know that he already approves of you and loves you. Know that he's secured for you a salvation that does not change. Now I begin to change. Simply put, we become what we look at. And what God has done in the gospel is he's severed the works line so you can now look to Christ. Be captivated by Christ. Study Christ. Prioritize Christ. And so be changed into his image and receive his love. So for many of you, the main work, work that you need to do is just rest in Christ to receive his salvation, to wake up tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and say, today I believe that Jesus has bought me for his own and that everything that I need to be made right with him has already been done. I'm going to approach my day that way to receive and to rest in him. What a gift. Let me pray for us before we sing and go to the Lord's table. Father, we love you. We're thankful for this, your word, for a justification that is free and true through Christ. We pray, Father, that we would continue to remind ourselves of it, 